Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's really good to see everyone. Um, wow. Lots of people joining us on Zoom. Lots of people in person. This is great. Um, I'm super duper excited to be back. If I don't sound that way, it's just because I'm tired. Get used to it. I feel like I'll be tired for a while, but that's okay. I'm still really excited. Um, I have a lot of stuff to share with you about what's been going on for the last few weeks. Um, Ashley and I uh, have a son now. His name is Tobias Gillum, and he is great. He is awesome. He's really, really cute. I don't have any pictures for you because, I don't know, I, just, like, I could show you on my phone. I could bring him and place him in your arms, and you can enjoy him yourself at some point in the future. Um, uh, yeah, but at the same time, uh, the last two months or so have been also very challenging and very anxious uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, so today we're going to talk about a few things. We're continuing our series about uh, our church theme for the year, which is do not be anxious about anything. And uh, I think... I think um, this, this sermon is really near and dear to my heart uh, because I really believe that this is at the core of the Christian life. Um, it is to understand deeply that your Heavenly Father loves you and provides for you and is taking care of you. And um, I really believe strongly that if Dan and Ken and Dilo and different people, as they've been preaching through this series and we've been talking about this issue of anxiety, uh, what I really want to say is it is completely impossible to experience the life that God intends for you, which is to be in many ways free from anxiety without deeply understanding how God is your heavenly father. Um, it is impossible to live an anxiety-free life without truly trusting that God is your heavenly father um, and understanding that. And the degree to which you understand, uh, that will be the degree to which you can live out uh, the theme passage from Philippians. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the theme passage again in Philippians chapter 4. Um, so if you have Bibles or phones, I'm not going to have slides for us, so I want you to actually follow along in your Bible um, or your, your Bible on your phone. Uh, I'm going to read Philippians 4, and I want to talk about this verse and I want to kind of lay out the audacious claim that this verse makes. Um, I want to talk about how we typically respond to that claim. And then I'm going to go to a different passage where Jesus actually gives us a model of what our relationship with God as a Heavenly Father should look like and can look like. Um, and then I want to tie those things together. So if this doesn't make sense, please be gracious with me. My brain is kind of foggy and fuzzy. Um, because I'm sleepy, uh, but I think, that, I think it's really important, and what, what I might not have in clarity, I hope I can make up for in passion, because I, really, I, I feel really passionately about this truth, and this has been near and dear to my heart. So let me read for us uh, Philippians 4. Uh, I'm going to read verses, the end of verse 5, and then I'm going to read verse 6 and 7, okay? So follow along, Philippians chapter 4, 5 through 7. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we live in an extraordinarily anxious world, and I would say in my life, in the last couple of years, um, I've had this kind of like creeping sense of disease about the state of the world. You can probably imagine some of the reasons for that, right? What's really weird is when I look back at the pandemic, when I look back at all the different things that happened and are happening, uh, the world feels very, um, feels very different to me than it did before the pandemic. Uh, the word I would use for it is the world feels more dangerous the world feels more sinister. It feels like there is more uh, kind of uh, discord and hatred and racism 
and political turmoil. Um, there's war. There's, there's shortages. There's inflation. Um, and all of these things mean that the world can feel so much more unsafe uh, to you and to me than it did before the pandemic. Are you guys with me in that? Now, part of this is because I'm young and I haven't been through what some of you have been through, right? So I would say over the course of my life, I've had problems. We've all had problems. There have been bad things happening. Like I was in, um, I think I was in seventh grade when 9-11 happened, but I was kind of too young to really grasp what that meant um, and to really kind of like feel for what happened. I was just kind of too young. Um, and then oh, there's been plenty of things happen, you know, like uh, dot-com crash, uh, housing bubble burst. There's all kinds of political events that have been happening, but I've just been kind of blissfully oblivious. Um, but over the last couple of years, uh, I have not. I mean, I've, I've been kind of like forced to grapple with the danger in the world, um, the difficulty in the world. And as a result of that, um, as a result of my eyes being opened to what the world can really be like, um, I have experienced a lot of worry about things and dis-ease about things. But do you know what? Do you know what that passage I just read says? Um, this passage is making a completely shocking claim about what is possible as a Christian, um, and it is possible not to be anxious. It is possible because Paul says, do not be anxious. And then what does he say? He says, do not be anxious about anything. So he's saying it is possible not to, to be, in a sense, what's a, what's a definition of anxious? Um, it's kind of like the, the word for anxious means to have, to have your attention scattered on multiple things, right? And we all know what that feels like, right? Where you can't focus on one thing, you're const your, your mind is constantly being pulled between different things at the same time, and as a result of that, you just can't function. So um, there are a bunch of different types of anxiety you experience. Um, let me use some images to describe some of the anxiety you experience. Uh, there's, I, I really like this image. One type of anxiety is the night before a big test anxiety. We all know what that one is, right? There is a specific thing that you're really afraid of that's going to happen soon, and you're not sure how it's going to turn out. You might feel really unprepared. You might feel really prepared. That doesn't matter. You're still anxious about it because you're not sure how it's going to turn out. What's a different type of anxiety? Um, it's the juggling chainsaws anxiety. Uh, there are too many, or juggling plates, whatever. It, people, use, people always use the image of juggling. Like, I have a lot on my plate. I'm juggling a lot of things, right? It's like you have so many things going on at the same time. Um, like I think about Sarah, she was getting married, she was doing an MBA, she was like working. That, that's a lot of chainsaws to be juggling. And just like one thing going the wrong way causes a ripple effect where you drop all of the chainsaws or you cut yourself on all, yeah, it's, it's a graphic image, I know. But, but isn't that how things can often feel? Where if one thing goes wrong, my entire life falls apart. And I'm not exaggerating, right? Because that's what it really feels like to be anxious. Uh, there's another type of anxiety, which is, um, it's the end of the world as we know it anxiety. And we feel this one a lot, where you think about Russia, Ukraine, you think about the political situation in America, you think about the economic situation, and you're like, everything is going downhill. Um, when I think about the future, I feel hopeless. I feel like things are getting worse, and there's no end in sight. They're just gonna get worse and worse and worse and worse. And you see this kind of come out in a lot of different ways. Um, there's kind of like a, I don't know, I feel like I observe and learn a lot about culture by reading Reddit and looking at different subreddits because you can actually find very distinct kind of niches of people who all are joined by the same mentality. So there's one group on Reddit which is basically anti-child. Have you guys, do you guys know about this at all? Um, it's basically a group where people will say, so there are different levels of aggressiveness and rudeness in this group. On one side of the spectrum, there are people who are doing it for a lot of like, in, in my mind, like sensible reasons, right? So they look at the environmental situation, they think the world is overpopulated, climate change, all of that stuff, and they say, it's kind of like irresponsible morally to bring a child into this messed up world, right? 
And then there's like, so that's kind of the attitude running underneath a lot of these people. And then the more aggressive side would be like, it's not about me having a kid or not, it's about you having kids. It's irresponsible for you to have a kid. Um, and do you know what's really sad about that to me? Um, I think there's good reason to feel that way. And you know, I had a kid and all of a sudden, when I think about the future, I experience disease and anxiety about the world that Toby has come into. And you know, like Jenny's laughing because she knows exactly what I'm talking about as a parent. Um, and so this is a type of anxiety that you face as a parent. And so there are so many different responses we have to all of these types of anxiety. Now, I want you guys to think for a second. Um, do you guys know which type of anxiety you typically experience more? So like, okay, raise your hand if you're like the, the night before the test anxious person. Like you really freak out. You always feel like there's something coming up that you're scared about and you don't know what's going to happen and the uncertainty kills you. And so you like, you like tense up. You're always thinking about it. Um, and then do you know the interesting thing? What happens when you finish that test and everything goes fine? You find the next test right? It's crazy. It's crazy. So um, I want, I want to, I was just, I was, I was just reflecting on anxiety and I was thinking about this. Um, I want you guys to think about what you're most anxious about right now. You can think about that, right? You don't have to say it aloud. Here's a challenge. Do you remember what you were most anxious about two weeks ago? Okay. Some of you, yes. I think many of you probably lost it, right? You don't even remember what you were worried about. How about a, a month ago? Do you remember? If, if there's one big thing that is ongoing, that doesn't count. I'm, I'm, just talking about, I'm just talking about how the way life happens, you're worried about one thing, you act, your mind tricks you into thinking, once that circumstance is resolved, all of my anxiety will go, be gone and I'll be in a state of bliss and tranquility, right? But then something else happens. So uh, <laughs> um, a little sharing about what's happened at our house over the last two months. So, um, uh, like, okay, pregnancy was pretty tough. Um, Ashley was pushing for five hours. I don't know if she wants me to tell you about this, but whatever. Um, Ashley was pushing for five hours, not working, unplanned C-section. So unplanned C-section means six weeks of recovery. Um, not only did we have an unplanned C-section, but Ashley was having some high blood pressure issues. And so we went home, brought Toby home, um, about, it was, like not maybe a week later, um, she had really high blood pressure. We had to be readmitted to the hospital for three nights. That was terrible. What else has happened over the course of the last couple of months? Um, our plumbing stopped working. We had to completely replace our sewer line and do a complete repiping underneath the house. What else happened? Um, our refrigerator this on Friday stopped working. <laughs> so there's been like one thing after another. Like seriously, I'm not exaggerating. One thing after another. And do you know what's so funny to me? Um, I'm gonna make fun of Ashley a little bit for this, but it's it's me too, right? Where it's like there, that it's like the plumbing is like such a big deal. And you're like, oh, once the stupid plumbing finally works, then I'm gonna be blissful and tranquil and our all of our anxieties and worries will be over. And then the the refrigerator breaks, right? It's like, it never ends. And, and it's like, if you, it, it just never ends. And so the question here is, if this is the state of the world, if this is what our lives are gonna be like, if you're a kid, you are probably more bliss-free than you are when you, and you, you don't like me to say that, but it's true. You feel so worried about like tests and school and everything. Things could be a lot worse, okay? You, you've never had to deal with plumbing before. <laughs> and I, I know as a kid, you hate when adults tell you that, but whatever, I'm a dad now, so I'm gonna, I'll tell you. Um, uh, you hate that I'm telling you that, but it's true. And so this passage is so weird. I don't think you appreciate how weird this passage is. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. So there is no thing in the world that you need to be. And when he says anxious, I don't think he means, he doesn't mean something dumb like you don't feel worried at all. You don't feel concerned at all. That's not what he means. Um, he means that like what I really think he means is you don't fall apart. You don't completely panic and lose it. Um, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. So he says in everything, in every situation, it is possible not to be anxious. And how do you do that? 
Um, he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the alternative to this type of anxiety is prayer. But a lot of the times when we think about this passage and think about prayer, we think that this is mechanical and formulaic. So if you do the right formula for prayer, then you won't feel anxious anymore. You'll feel tranquil again. But that's totally not what's going on here. The only reason Paul can say, the Lord is at hand, therefore do not be anxious, is because of Paul's personal relationship with his heavenly father and his personal experience, um, like just experiencing over the course of his life how God has been with him through everything. Now, if you think about Paul's life for a second, um, and you think about even the, social, the historical, social, political situation that Paul lived in, um, it, was not, it was a very tumultuous time in history. Um, for, for Israel, the Jewish people, uh, they were occupied by Romans. So this is almost like, like if Russia just totally took over Ukraine and was occupying Ukraine, the Ukrainians would feel this way the way that Israel felt under Roman rule. Like there, there are probably differences in terms of how uh, the Roman rule functioned and all that stuff. But it was political turmoil. Many of them thought of uh, rising up against the Roman government. Uh, they would have been taxed heavily. Um, there was a lot of uh, divisive, uh, like bickering religious groups. Um, the world was a lot, they didn't even have plumbing, so their plumbing couldn't break um, in many ways. Uh, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, to compound that, Paul himself experienced persecution, shipwreck, beatings, um, hunger, uh, you know, stuck on an island, you know, like all kinds of stuff. And so the fact that he can say in everything, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every circumstance, uh, pray, bring your request to God. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense unless he has a certain view of who God is and also a certain view of what the peace of God is like, okay? So let's keep going to verse seven. He says, when you, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse does not say what you think it does, and it does not say what you want it to say. <laughs> What you want this verse and this passage and what many people want Christianity to do is they want God to take them out of every single difficult circumstance they are in, right? When you think about your relationship with God, most of the time what happens, think about the different types of anxiety. You have the night before the test anxiety. You pray to God and you're like, God, if you just get me out of this one test, then I'll be good. And then he does, or and then you, you get through the test, it's okay, or like you fail the test, whatever, you're surviving. The next test is coming, and then you're like, God, just get me out of the circumstance, and then I'll be happy. And then the next test comes, get me out of the circumstance. And then you go to college, and you're like, okay, God, I got into the college, now, oh, finals are coming up. Just, God, get me through this final. And, and then you're, you're interviewing for a job. God, just give me this job, and then I'll finally be happy. And then I see this all the time, like tons of my friends. I always pray for them for their job, and they're like, oh, and then they're on this job, and they're like, oh my gosh, my manager, or oh my gosh, my team, I can't stand this team. If I just had this other team within the same company, um, I'm, I'm like, then I would be finally happy, right? And so God, God, just change my circumstances, and then I'll be happy. And then they get to the other team, and then they're like, oh my gosh, Daniel, pray for me, because my manager, I really hate my manager, or oh my gosh, this teammate, like your team member, like, I can't stand them. So this is like, this is the crazy thing. When you really understand what this passage is saying, it is not saying what you expect. You want God to grant you tranquility by removing all difficulty. This passage actually says, the peace of God which surpasses understanding. And that little phrase there means, when you truly experience the peace of God, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. There is a type of peace that comes from nice circumstances. So if you're like living in whatever mansion, um, you know, you're living in Beverly Hills, you're living like, you know, like you know, penthouse suite in Manhattan, where like you have great circumstances, you have no troubles in the world, you can be happy. You cannot be that anxious. It's possible. Some people are. 
Um, but it doesn't say that. That, that. that type of freedom and tranquility makes sense. This type does not. And there have been a few times in my life when I've experienced this. Um, you know that it's the peace of God when it doesn't make sense that you're feeling this calm and at peace as the world or your life feels like it's falling apart around you. Um, that's, that's what the peace of God is like. It surpasses understanding. Um, and it also, the peace of God is different than, uh, different than the peace we typically experience because it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The difference between worldly peace and this peace of God is worldly peace, uh, typically you are the one who, are, who is in control and able to exert force or control over your circumstances in a way where you solve the problems. But this type of peace, it says, what guards your heart and mind? It's your ability to think positively. It's your education. It's your money. No, it's the peace of God. And the image for guard is literally um, the, Im- the, the word that they would use for basically like a watchtower or a, a ramparts like wall. There's a besieged city and uh, the soldiers are guarding the town or the city. And so the peace of God is actually guarding you and protecting you. Where you are not the one active creating peace and tranquility in your life. It's not positive thinking. It's not like self-help. It's not any of that. Um, it's not pretending like the, the bad situation isn't there. It's that supernatural peace from God is guarding you. And it's because he is your heavenly father. You have brought all of your requests to him. You have thanked him for the good things he's doing in your life. He's done all of that. You've done all of that. And then God promises, as you have this relationship with your heavenly father, his peace will guard you. Um, And again, this is only based on Paul's lived relationship and experience with God as his heavenly father, that he's able to pray this prayer and it's able to work. Now, I want you to think for a second um, what this means for us in our series. Uh, There is a very specific type of person that I'm trying to, um, trying to point out. Uh, for those of you who don't really know much about God or who God is, um, I, would, I would just say, uh, okay, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just read the next passage. And what I want to show you is by looking at how Jesus has a relationship with God, he is giving us a picture of what our prayer life and our experience with God can be like. Um, And again, it's very different than you typically read it. Um, Let's try to, this is like eavesdropping in to Jesus's relationship with God. And we can use this as a way to diagnose our own hearts and our own state. Um, And so here's the challenge I want to pose to you. If you've been listening to our series and you've been hearing Dan preach and you've been reading these passages and you've been trying to put them into practice, where you say, I am praying without ceasing. I'm trying to pray all the time, praying that God would fix my toilet, praying that God would fix my free, all that. I'm praying all the time, but yet I still don't experience peace. I'm still anxiety-ridden. What I want to challenge you with is there is something fundamentally wrong, perhaps, or in the moment you have forgotten something fundamental about who God is and how to relate to him, Okay. Uh, I don't know if that made sense. My, my brain is foggy. I said a lot of words, and hopefully you understood what I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> so what we're going to do is we're going to read Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to read just verses 1 through 4. You guys should be thankful, because I was going to read like Luke 1 through 13, but I'm not going to, okay? So be thankful. Um, let me read. Uh, you guys go home and read the rest of the passage, because it also says really cool things about who God is as our Heavenly Father. Um, This is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Um, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So I'm going to stop there. Uh, The prayer that Jesus prays is the Lord's Prayer, the version of the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke. And you probably think you're very familiar with the Lord's Prayer, but you probably don't read this first part of the Lord's Prayer. There's something really interesting that happens here. 
What prompts Jesus? What prompts the disciple to ask Jesus about prayer? The disciples are eavesdropping in on Jesus praying to his father, and there is something so otherworldly and strange about the way he talks to God and relates to God. There's something so beautiful and intimate about what the way he talks to his dad that they want to, to learn from that. Did you catch that? It's, it's really mysterious. They don't say to Jesus, like, teach me how to say the right formula. Um, no, they were just eavesdropping. Jesus was just praying normally as he would, and they're eavesdropping in on him. And as a result of that, um, they don't say, like, teach me to pray more eloquently, Jesus. Um, they see the relationship lived out, and they say, I want that type of relationship with God. That is how beautiful his relationship is. Teach us how to pray. And teach us how to pray doesn't mean teach us how to say the right words to God. It means teach us how to have this beautiful, intimate, close relationship and walk with God, where you experience that type of fellowship, where, where you, God is your father, where God, God, you can talk to God about anything, and you do talk to him about anything. Um, this is really crazy. Um, do you guys ever like people watch or eavesdrop? <laughs> like, are you ever in a restaurant or something? Um, or you're like sitting on a bench um, or at a coffee shop and someone's like talking really loudly at a different table or place. And, and you're not intending to, but sometimes you just happen to hear what they're saying. Um, I intend to. I like, I actually am very, I like observing people because I like, you can learn a lot of stuff. And a lot of times people say really funny or interesting things. Um, but there's one thing I've noticed. Have you ever tried to like look at couples who are eating together? Listen to them talk, and just by listening to them talk and how their body language, the way they relate to each other, you can make, like, I don't know if my judgments are accurate, but I feel like I can make pretty accurate judgments how their relationship is going. Are you guys with me? Do you ever do this? I, I'm, I, I love Jonathan Tammy's like, no, of course I don't. Um, I think it's really interesting. So, for example, um, uh, is their relationship like this? You know, you're looking down your phone. And then someone's like, you never pay attention to me. You're always looking at your phone. What kind of relationship is that? Or some of them are just like eating their food, staring down at their plate. And you're like, this is awkward. Are they fighting? Are they breaking up? Have you ever like eavesdropped on someone breaking up with someone else? <laughs> you can tell. That's what's going on here, right? The way you talk to someone um, when, when you don't really think people are looking that reveals something really, uh, in, like that reveals something about the state of the relationship. So I want to challenge you with this: um, What is your prayer life with God like? If someone was to eavesdrop on you praying to God, what would they think? It's very possible to pray to God, and for your relationship to lose all of its sweetness and joy. Um, because you are so anxious about your circumstances that you don't spend time with him. You just want him to fix your problems. And there's nothing like God. God is a loving heavenly father. And so he loves to do that. Um, he, 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 he doesn't always fix your problems the way you want. And he doesn't promise to remove you out of every circumstance. But he loves to hear our prayers and he loves to grant our requests. Um, but... What, what would someone eavesdropping in on your relationship think about how you relate to God? Other, other people, when you pray to God, you feel guilty all the time. And it sounds a lot like, God, I'm sorry I did that bad thing. Will you please forgive me? That's the only content of your prayer. What does that say about your relationship? You primarily relate to God, not as a father, but as a judge or as a policeman. Um, there are a bunch of different kind of ways we can relate to God that are all revealed by our prayers. And if your inner state is characterized by constant anxiety and there is no sweetness and closeness to the way you talk to God, there's something going wrong with the way you see him. There's something going wrong with your relationship. Um, and so we're gonna get to my recommendation of what to do, what's been helpful for me when I find myself in those places. Because, I mean, to be honest, like, um, uh, the last two years, uh, I would say, like, has been probably the most challenging for my prayer life. Um, I've been busy. I've been stressed out. Uh, I haven't had, I, God has felt far. 
And so as a result, I haven't had a lot of closeness and sweetness and intimacy with him. But at the same time, there are so many beautiful moments where again, it's almost like against my, it's not my initiative that does it, but it's God reaching out to me and reminding me of the truth about him. Um, okay, so all of that, eavesdropping in, Jesus praying to God, what does he pray? What does his prayer look like? What does that reveal about his relationship with God the Father? Number one, he starts by saying, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, I want you to think to yourself, these words, if you've grown up, have it, didn't you go to, go to Catholic school ever, by any chance? Um, when I went to Catholic school, you like say the Lord's Prayer all the time, right? And it's really funny because like Catholic school was one of the best examples in my mind of a bunch of people saying words that couldn't have less meaning to them. Um, where, and, and I would, so like, I hope that our church is not like this, but surely there are times where I say words to God that are meaningless, you do it too, all of that stuff, but that's okay. But all, all I wanna say is, um, we think we know what these words mean, and we, we, we probably have memorized it, but you have not looked at it through the context of this passage where you are eavesdropping in on Jesus' relationship with God the Father. So when Jesus prays these words, he is providing an example of what his relationship with God the Father looks like and wants us to model our relationship after it. So what kind of qualities do you see in the way that he prays? He starts off by saying, Father. Now, this is not a big deal to us, but it should be. When Jewish people in the Old Testament addressed God, uh, they were, he was so majestic and holy and powerful that they wouldn't even say his proper name. They wouldn't even say his proper name. And so for them to, for Jesus to address God as a father is actually very, um, it would have been probably very controversial or unfamiliar for the disciples who were there. They, that, that probably wouldn't have been the typical way they would have addressed God in prayer. And so what Jesus is doing right off the bat is saying, your view of God God is loving, God is powerful, God is a judge, God is a king, God is all of these things, God is a shepherd. But have you, is the primary way you consider God and relate to him as your heavenly father? If it is not, you will not be able to live the Christian life. If it is not, when you pray to God, you won't experience his peace because he's not your dad and he's not helping you. Um, instead, he's your judge, instead, he's your teacher, instead, he's your boss. Um, father, hallowed be your name. So there he's saying, basically, God, your name as a father, who you are as a father is completely different than any other earthly father. Earthly fathers can be a good or bad analogy for God's love as a father, where if an earthly father um, shows love, shows affection, shows care for their kid, they are a picture of God, the heavenly father. But he is holy in the sense that he is different from earthly fathers in very significant ways. And you actually see that at the end um, in verses 11 through 13. Um, he concludes this section by saying, if earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to their kids, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? So that's like a really weird passage, but the logic is if even sucky earthly fathers can give their kids good gifts, how much more will God the Heavenly Father give things good things to us? And when he says good things, and he means explicitly in that part, the Holy Spirit, but he also means, Jesus is saying, um, he is confident about God the Father answering his prayer, where he prays for these different requests in the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay, so hallowed be your name, uh, it's also a prayer that people would see God as worthy and holy and give him praise and his reputation would be good. That's what it means. Like it's saying, I pray that other people would see you as you are, as you are holy, that they would see your reputation as you actually are. And then he says, your kingdom come. So he is willing that God's uh, desires and God's reign would come to the world. So when, when he says God is, is his father, his God, is, God is his father, but God is also a king. And Jesus says, um, Jesus says I, God, as the king, 
I want you to rule. I want people to listen to you because if you are the ruler, if you are the president, if you're the one in charge, the world will be a much better place. And I believe that you are good. I believe you are worthy of ruling and I want your kingdom to come. And the, the flip side to that is his kingdom has not come in some significant ways where people don't bow down to God. But let's keep going. And this is where you really see a lot of the beauty of what it means that God is our father. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So there are three different elements where Jesus is relating to God as a father. What do fathers do? What does God as our father do? Number one, he gives us each day our daily bread. He provides for our needs. And this is a holistic statement. Um, the, he, Jesus probably had in mind not simply physical provision, but also God's spiritual care and provision. Um, because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when Israel was going through the wilderness, God provided manna for them as kind of like daily bread. But the daily bread was kind of like uh, illustration of how God cared for them spiritually as well, okay? You get that? It's both physical, it's both praying that God would take care of us personally, but it's also spiritual. And forgive us our sins. What do we deeply need from our Heavenly Father? We need to be forgiven, for we have wronged Him in many significant ways. So even though God is our Father, um, I, like I know this all about this based on my relationship with my dad, where it's like, I often do things where I need forgiveness from my Father. Right, And so what's so cool is Jesus is painting this picture. I go to God, and what is he like? He's a father who loves giving bread and providing and caring for his children. This father is not someone who holds a grudge against you. You don't have to be walking on eggshells where it's like, if I just mess up one time, he'll never let me, he'll ne never let me live it down. He'll bring it up over and over again as ammunition against me. Like, do you remember that one time you did this? I'm not going to give you anything, any money. Do you remember that one time you, you crashed my car or like you, you dropped your cell phone and I had to pay, buy, pay for a new? Like what kind of father is that? That's not what God is like. And you can find this in the prayer. God is so willing and joyful to forgive our sins when we sin against him. That's so beautiful and good. What else? Lead us not into temptation. And the word there is kind of generic for trial. Um, but what I would say about that is when he's praying that, he's going to God and depending on God to help him get through difficulties and trials. And so God is a guide. God is a protector as a father. This father is so incredibly involved in Jesus's life that he is leading him and guiding him and protecting him from danger and doing all of these things. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about this passage um, is because for so many of us, this is not what our relationship with God is like. Um, our relationship with God is a tightrope. You're walking on a tightrope without a safety net. And if you mess up, you fall. And God won't take you back. Um, or your relationship with God is, uh, he's like a really strict, harsh teacher. Um, or he's like, you have one chance. If you mess up once, you're out. Um, our, God, our relationship with God doesn't have the sweetness and joy where Jesus is so dependent on God the Father. Jesus is so trusting and he is so confident that God will take care of him. Um, and I just want you to think, in the midst of all the anxieties we're experiencing, is that what your, the state of your thought life is like before God? The other thing I want to say, um, if, you, if you are prayerless, that also reveals something very significant about your relationship with God and how you see him. Uh, there are a few ways that comes to be. In many cases, we are prayerless because we've tried praying and we feel it simply doesn't work. We've been disappointed when God hasn't answered prayers that we prayed to him. Um, and I think probably, like I'm going to preach again, in, not next week, but the week after that. And I think I might want to address some of these questions but I, you can't hold me to it. So you might have to ask me if, more about this. Um, but all I would say is uh, Jesus is not, God is not like that. Um, so let me end 
with a few kind of images to instead help you consider what your relationship with God is like. Um, Henry Nouwen was a professor uh, and a priest, and then he was also um, he also went and worked with um, with differently abled people. Uh, like he left his professorship at Notre Dame, I think, which like super prestigious job to go work with differently abled people. And a lot of his writing had to do with reflecting what he learns from people who are very different. Um, he went from a world of intellect and like public speaking engagements and a lot of applause and acclaim to completely un like noticed just care for like people who couldn't take care of themselves, like changing diapers or like washing them, like getting a rag and washing off their armpits and stuff. Like no, no, no thanks for that. Um, but he uses this incredible image where he says he was watching a trapeze artist in the circus. So in a trapeze artist, there are two people who are swinging on these things, and then one of them lets go, and they fly through the air, right? They're flying through the air. That's crazy. That's super risky, right? And then the incredible thing about trapeze artists is the other person swings at just the right time, they, they're holding onto the bar with their legs, they're hanging from their legs, and they catch the person in their arms, right? And he says, walking with God is not like a tightrope without a net. It's like a, being a trapeze artist, where if you want to live the Christian life, Jesus says to do a lot of things that don't make sense. He's, he does, says to do a lot of things that seem impossible. He says not to be anxious. That doesn't feel possible. He says to love your enemies. That doesn't seem possible. He says to turn the other cheek. Doesn't seem possible. He says to go confess your sin against another person. Why would you do that? No, he says to give away your possessions to the poor. Why? Um, it's, it's, all of those things are impossible unless you really trust that when you are walking by faith with God, when you let go of your control, when you let go of that trapeze, God will be there to catch you. And that's what it means that God is a heavenly father. I want you to think for, the second, for a second about the difference between being an orphan and being the daughter of Bill Gates, okay? Let's pretend you're an orphan for a second. You go to high school. You try to get into a good college. Uh, do you know what major you're going to study? Let's pretend you make it into college, which is not a given. Um, let's pretend you take out enough student loans so that you can actually pay for college. Um, you probably have to work another job or two jobs at the same time, pay off your student loans, pay for tuition, pay for housing, pay for food. Um, you have no safety net. Um, it's all on you. It's all on you to make your way. Um, do you know what majors you're probably not going to choose? You're probably not going to study interpretive dance. You're not going to study filmmaking. You're not going to study English literature like I did. Um, you're going to study accounting. You're going to study a job where you know if you just get this major, you can provide for yourselves. Because Why? There is no safety net. There is no one to fall back on or help you in case something bad happens. If your car breaks down, you have to pay for it. That is what life without God is like, and that is why so many of us are anxious. You might not believe in God. That's what life is like. You might say you believe in God, but practically you don't feel that. You don't experience him as your father. Now, on the other hand, let's look at being the daughter of Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a tremendously rich person. Let's pretend that you are a daughter um, and you're taking a test and you're like, you're taking the ACT, right? Do you think you're super dupe? You might be worried about what score you get, but how worried are you really? You know, let's, let's, let's pretend you're interviewing for a job. You probably are saying like, oh, it might be cool to get this job. I might find it personally fulfilling or enriching, but I don't need the job. Why? Because I'm the daughter of Bill Gates. And whatever happens, he's going to take care of me financially. Can you think for a second about the emotional life of these two different people and how different they are? And then I want you to say for a second, which one do you live like? You might go to church, say you're Christian, say the right things about God being your father, but you live like an orphan where everything is on you. There is no safety net. 
It is all based on you being able to exert control over your circumstances. And therefore, if things are going good, you feel in control and good and you love God. When things are going bad, you're just freaking out. You're trying to take actions to fix your problems. In the other sense, God is the trapeze artist who catches you. No matter what happens, you have a safety net because he loves you and provides for you. And this really changes your inner life. Let me give one final example. Of, well, okay, a few, few, okay. Um, Carrie Wong, who many of you, you know, um, she has been in South Africa um, teaching kids. Do you think that felt safe to do during a pandemic? Do you think that felt easy? She's living like a child of God, where she's basically willing to say, no matter what happens, I want to do this because I want to share the love of God with people, and I trust that he's my dad and he's going to take care of me. And in many cases in the Bible, God taking care of people means that they're persecuted and they die in the, glad in, in, in the Roman Colosseum. But still, God is a good father, and he promises to raise, a, raise them up on the last day, and God will make it right. And so Dallas Willard makes this totally mind-blowing statement, which you probably just don't believe, but this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says. This is how Jesus relates to God in this prayer. He says, um, if you really understand who Jesus is, if you really understand how you're a child of God, then this world is fundamentally a safe place to be. Does that make sense to you? If it doesn't make sense to you, you probably don't understand the privilege and benefits of being a child of God. Because God is far more powerful and wise and rich than Bill Gates. God is able to redeem any suffering or difficulty and work it together for our good. And God is a perfectly loving father. So let me end with one, uh, let me end with, I mean, I was gonna talk more about Toby, but so let me just like, you know, what, what's the word? Um, I can't think of the words now. Like, anyway, I'll just tell you the story. Um, one of the things I've learned from being a parent is there's often a huge difference in Toby's perception of me as a dad and how I feel towards him, right? Uh, great, best example so far, lots of examples of that, but best example, going to the doctor. Um, when he was born, he had uh, pretty bad jaundice, which, you know, it can lead to like liver complications. It, his skin is really yellow. He's not able to like metabolize um, certain things. And so uh, you have to like, you have to basically make him poop as much as possible. And he expels the, like the toxic materials in his poop. And so then he turns more of a normal color over time. And so in order to uh, measure how much jaundice he had, we would have to go into the doctor's office. They would get this like implement, which has a prick on it. They would prick his heel and then they would squeeze his foot to get droplets to fall out into a vial. And you'd have to get like, a lot of blood. And he did this many times, probably like four or five times. Um, I don't remember exactly. Ashley probably remembers how many because she's, uh, she's really super mom. Um, he was not happy with us, right? He was not happy about that. Did that mean we didn't love him? Did that mean we weren't taking care of him? He couldn't understand the way we were loving him and showing affection. And God is the same way. Did you know that? God really cares for you. And so in Peter, it says, cast all of your cares on him because he loves you. He cares for you. Cast all your anxieties because he cares for you. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. God is a heavenly Father who loves you so much. And even when you're not aware of all the attention and care and planning that he is lavishing on you, he is. He's doing it. And the hardest thing for us is if you're anything like me and you've been living a relatively comfortable life, if you've been blissfully ignorant of all the things to be anxious about, when stuff like this hits, when suffering and pain and worry hits, you don't know what to do with yourself. And God feels so far. But he hasn't left. He hasn't gone anywhere. If he is your heavenly father, this world is a fundamentally safe place to be. Because if the worst thing happens and you die, he promises to resurrect you again on the last day. If the worst thing happening will be for your good, 
Anything better than the worst thing, he will also make for your good. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, that makes sense, but like, I don't know if I said it the best way. God loves you so much. Are you living like an orphan? Are you living like a child of God? You can figure that out based on the state of your anxiety, based on your prayerlessness, based on your intimacy and joy and pleasure in talking to God as your father and your trust in him, where he will catch you no matter what happens. So you can take risks for his kingdom. You can take risks in loving people and laying down your life for them um, because he will fill you up. He will provide for what you need. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would make this truth real to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that your spirit would witness with our spirit that we are children of God and that would free us from our anxieties, that would help us to take our eyes off our circumstances and place them on you and place them on the people who you placed around us that we can love and care for. Um, I really do pray, Father, that in this coming week, as we consider our prayer life, um, you would be giving us insight into how we feel about you, and you would be helping us ask you for help in our relationship. I pray for the people who, are, who have, haven't talked to you for a long time because they've been disappointed or hurt. I pray that they would simply be able to pray to you, God, can you help me trust you again? And that, God, you would come through in powerful ways that would help them trust you again and heal their, um, their pain um, and disappointment in you. Uh, I pray for those of us who don't know you very well that you would really be speaking um, and uh, helping them understand who you are. And for those of us who are struggling with anxiety, Lord, um, I pray we would be able to trust you to catch us no matter what happens, and that would help us get through today's troubles. And then we would rinse and repeat tomorrow, and we would trust you with our daily needs. Um, we love you so much. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for his example of a relationship with you. And Lord, 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 we pray that you would help us know what that means uh, to experience a loving relationship with you um, and to pray in the way Jesus prayed um, so that we would have joy and we would have your peace and your peace would guard us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.